Welcome to Women's Hoops and Talks, the What Podcast, where we are elevating the voice of women in basketball. I am Tara, here with Cassidy, and we are ready to talk a tiny little bit of Blazers. They just came off of a loss to Houston, so I don't think we're going to want to dwell on that. And then we've got a really fantastic interview we're going to share with everyone. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. How are you doing today, Cassidy? I'm doing pretty good besides the Blazer loss, Uh, but... We always introduce the show talking about our Blazers what, but can you explain what the what is in our Blazers what? I would be glad to talk about what hashtag Blazers what stands for. So women's hoops and talks, as you may notice now that I've pointed it out, is a very clever acronym. That's kind of a tongue in cheek joke because I have this thing for making acronyms like words and stuff. And uh, so basically I started women's hoops and talks. It had a nice acronym, W-H-A-T. I started that as a way to get all my female friends together who love the Blazers to watch games together and talk about the Blazers. I started it with my former podcast partner, Joe Wolfenstein. She and I uh, used to do the Blazers Edge podcast every a couple of times a month. And we were like, hey, we should find all the women in town who get together and watch games together. And so we went and tried to figure out like where all those groups were. And realized there wasn't any per se that we knew of. So we decided that we would just start it off. So Women's Hoops and Talks and the Women's Hoops and Talks podcast is uh, what came out of that crazy harebrained idea. That's awesome. And you mentioned meetups. Uh, When is the next meetup that people can come and hang out and watch basketball with us? Yeah, we have uh, monthly meetups during the season that are watch parties. And the next one is coming up on Monday, December 17th. So I want to start at the beginning of the podcast to remind all of our friends who are within driving distance of Portland, Oregon, who want to come join us to watch the Blazers. We are going to be getting together on December 17th. That's a Monday evening. And we get together at the McMinimans on Broadway. It's an awesome setup. They're super gracious awesome hosts for us. We have a a whole room to ourselves and we have a big screen that we pull down and we watch the game and we scream and yell and uh, hug and cry (laughs) or whatever (laughs) is appropriate for the occasion. You've been to the uh, Women's Hoops and Talks meetups before, Cassidy. Yeah. What what are some of the things that uh, that you remember? I love our halftime trivia. Um, That is always a highlight for me because I'm a trivia fiend and so it's fun to do that with a big group and do it about the blazers yeah and i think that you've won a couple of times haven't you the prizes from uh we get local businesses to donate teacher mostly it's t-shirts and art we've had uh evan m and trillblazing and a couple other local artists in the past have uh, have donated prints we the trailblazers usually give us a few things to give away as well and we always give we reserve one prize for somebody like cassidy who has trivia and as excels at that and then we also just have a door prize because one of the things about the what meetups that I think is really fun is that we have women who have a variety of exposure to the Blazers. We actually have a couple, we've had women come before who've never like been to a game, but were really curious and wanted to learn more about it and wanted to do it like, you know, in a low key way. So then we've had people like you who went to the games when you were in your mom's stomach. (laughs) Yes. Forever and always a Blazer fan. So I hope the people who listen to the podcast uh, and can make it will come uh, to a meetup sometime this year, either this Monday, the 17th of December, or you can find we've got them all scheduled out for the whole rest of the season and they're pinned to the top of my Twitter profile. That's at TCB Biggs. And I hope that everybody will come out and watch. And of course, supporters of women who love basketball are also welcome. We try to make the events like centered on women and, you know, shower the women with all of the prizes and encourage them to speak up and give their hot takes and stuff because sometimes women aren't always comfortable doing that so we definitely encourage all of the women to speak up and the men who attend are always really great allies and have always been really great about encouraging us to talk and you know letting us have the floor so it's really fun and I must say my husband came to the last one and I feel like he learned a lot 
(laughs) (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Good for all. (laughs) That is awesome. Well, so a couple of just fun topics for us to touch on before we get into our interview. First thing is we are about a quarter of the way into the season and I went and looked today and looked at the, you know, if the playoffs started today. Now, this scenario has probably already changed like five times tonight because the West is so, so close. So I say that knowing that, you know, what was true this morning is probably not true now and will probably be even different again tomorrow. But this morning when I looked, the standings had uh, OKC was in second, Portland was tied for sixth, but they were they lost the tiebreaker uh, behind Memphis. And so Portland would take on OKC in the first round of the playoffs. So how do you feel about that matchup, Cassidy? Is that uh, a matchup do you think would favor the Blazers with our limited uh, knowledge and exposure of how the teams are playing this year? Um, I think so. It is really hard to say because those two teams have not played each other yet this season. And so it's going to be interesting to see when they do play who I think would come out on top. But I think that the Blazers would definitely have somewhat of an advantage in that series. and it. But I would never discount Russell Westbrook's just will to win. So mm-hmm. I think it'd be tough. So it looks like the first time the Blazers and OKC play is January 4th. That is so late in the season. It's really interesting. This year is so strange because there's actually quite a long list of teams the Blazers haven't even seen yet. So they're... I don't know how many games in we're like 20 we're more than 25 games in and they have not played Atlanta, Brooklyn, Hornets, Bulls, Cavs, Pistons, OKC, 76ers, the Kings, the Raptors or the Jazz. So that's 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11. So they've only played a little over half of the um half of the league. That's just so strange to me. But anyway, yeah, the first game against OKC is January 4th. My thing about OKC is, at least lately, Damian Lillard absolutely has their number. And I love those OKC games because they're always a Russell Westbrook meltdown. And they're really fun to watch. And you know, it's not that I actually don't dislike Russell Westbrook. I actually enjoy him and I enjoy the concept of him. I enjoy, I mean, it's so rare these days that you've got somebody who sticks it out somewhere for a really long time. And I think that Mm -hmm. kind of goes under the radar with Russell Westbrook. I mean, he's really been there, you know, literally since the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I think that just kind of goes a little bit under the radar, and I, I respect him for that. And he's also another one of those guys who, like, everybody left, you know, and he was left holding the bag. Mm-hmm. And he did a good job. But that doesn't mean I don't love it when Damian Lord takes him right to the edge and just makes him completely oh, melt yeah. down and kick the ball and throw things and have a hissy fit. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I think so that fun. would be a super fun series. I do, too. I think it would be really fun. And then just... I feel like we always have a thing against OKC and it's probably because they came from Seattle, but it's leftover, but I still love it. I love that atmosphere against them. Yes. Yes. I think uh, I I can't wait to play him and see, see how it goes. After tonight's game, I got to thinking after seeing Clyde Drexler be a broadcaster for Houston, which always breaks my heart a little uh, because I wish he was here. I'm wondering if you could see one former trailblazer join the TV broadcast team, who would you want to see? I I don't know. I mean, definitely not Bill Walton. <laughs> Let me just, yeah, I, I'm not. very clear on that one. Um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like somebody – well, I feel like somebody like Scottie Pippen would be great. I mean, I know he's actually really a Chicago yeah. bull, but – and he does players yeah, only Yeah, but he has just that gorgeous voice, which I could totally listen to all <laughs> night long. I, you know, he's got like that velvety voice with that little bit of a southern drawl. And I just think that would be like really nice to listen to. But he also is really mm-hmm. – he has interesting things to say. So I think he would be an interesting uh, commentator. I think somebody like Rashid could be really fun because, you know, people talk about like how smart and how good he is. And I think he could mm-hmm. be – really great 
at that. I mean, we could always bring back Steve Blake another time. But, <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe. Well, he's busy yeah, coaching. Maybe Rashid. I don't know. How about you? I, I think Sheed was definitely the first one that came to mind. Uh, just because I think that that would be so much fun. Uh, I always. I also thought about Greg Anthony, even though obviously he does that other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always fun to listen to him. And even though he was only in Portland for a little bit, he was definitely one of my favorite players at the mm-hmm. time. And so I would like to see that happen again. And I think he enjoyed Portland to an extent. So. You know who my number one person would be if he was still with us would be Jerome Kersey. Oh, absolutely. He'd be amazing. Phenomenal. Yeah. So my thing about Clyde is I love Clyde and he was like my favorite blazer for the longest time, really until Damian Lillard came along. But one thing that did not mm-hmm. help with my uh, appreciation for Clyde was his really short lived appearance on Dancing with the Stars. Did you see that? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Man. I I think I blocked that from my memory that it existed oh. because I just didn't want it to. exist. Yeah, it was it was rough. And, you know. I'm not like I'm putting myself out there on Dancing with the Stars. So, you know, more power to him for being brave enough to be out there. But it was just like, I'm just not sure that, you know, guys who are over six and a half feet tall, who've run their bodies that hard their entire lives, they just aren't real smooth, even though he's the glide. Yeah. Maybe not meant to. Yeah, exactly. So after I saw that, I was just like, mm. and then Damien Lillard came along and I was like, okay, Damien is now my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that's a, I think that's a fair, fair enough assessment <laughs> of that. Um, well, with the holiday season coming up, where, what would you think the Blazers should ask Santa for this year? Okay. I... I'm a super, I'm a t- notoriously bad at giving gifts. So trying to think about the best thing to give people uh, is very hard for me. But I think one thing that, de- that the Blazers could definitely make use of would be a- an extra coach, either a big man coach or a defensive specialist. And I don't know who they have on the team anymore who might fit into that defensive specialist category. And I've seen a lot of progress on defense over the last couple of seasons. I mean, there's no denying that the Blazers have learned a lot. But I just like the idea of someone whose sole job it is to spend all their time scheming on defense so that Terry Stotts can have time to do all of the offensive scheming. Yeah, that would be... And, you know, I really (laughs) miss them, you know, the the big man coach that they used to have, you know, Kim Hughes. Mm -hmm. So either a big man coach or a defensive specialist. I think the big men, I think Zach Collins would really flourish under that kind of attention like Myers was getting from from Kim Hughes. And who I really think that if Kim Hughes had stuck around, we may have seen a little bit you know, faster progression of Myers. I think that may have been difficult for him without him. So, and I think Zach Collins right now, he's kind of in this place where he's had some rough games. He's not playing as well as he did at the beginning of the year. And if he had someone to just really concentrate and focus on him, I think Nurkic's development has gone so well. And I think his development is, you know, pretty much just as long as he's tight with Damian Lillard, (laughs) that's what's most important to him. Yeah, that's definitely a key. And I think that the best thing that Santa could bring the Blazers is a starting spot on the all-star team for Damian Lillard. Because I think that kind of boost of energy is what this team could use. And I think that it would be so much fun. And I think Lillard deserves that spot. And I would absolutely love to see that happen. So everyone, please vote for the all-star team when the ballot comes out. I don't even know when it's coming out, but I'm starting campaign. Okay. Now. And you have Twitter now. So you, you got to do I your do. part. You got to get all your friends. You got, if your husband has Twitter or doesn't have Twitter, you get got to get on his account and you got to make, I'm going to get on my husband's account and everybody I know and all my burner Everyone accounts. And we're all going to be doing hash, whatever the hashtag is for the year. I've been trying to figure out what the hashtag is going to be for the year. And I think it's coming up really soon because I noticed on the NBA website, the little icon has appeared on the, um, the player, um, 
on like the player profile pages, there was like a little oh. icon. I was like, oh, it's the all-star icon. And I clicked on it and I was like so excited. I was like, the all-star voting has started, but it was from last year. So, you know, mm-hmm. got to have a little talk with their content strategist. Like, don't put that up there if it's yeah. not time. And I don't know if it was there before, but I just noticed it the other day because I was so excited. And I thought I got to go cast my first vote for Damian Lillard, but not yet. But I do think it's getting close. Yes, I hope so. And I think usually it's right around Christmas. So I think that should happen soon. Well, so I got one last question before we uh, lead into the interview. Um because we're uh, we're talking to we're going to be uh, talking with Anna Jane Smith, who uh, is someone who knows a whole bunch about stats. And look, a few like a few months ago, I put out on Twitter, I was like, who are some women who are really good at NBA stats? Because I can't. I'm really trying to find <laughs> find someone to to talk to about it, but most of the people who are like super into stats, if they identify themselves, because a lot of people like don't identify themselves, um, are men. And but our friend Kelsey O'Brien from Raptors said, talk to Anna Jane Smith because she is uh, great, and we did. But one of the things we talked about was like, you know, how she watches a game. So I was wondering if you, Cassidy, do you have any like game watching routines? How do you watch a game? Um, I usually am cooking dinner for part of it. (laughs) Um, But then I usually watch the game. I regularly check uh, the box score throughout the game during timeouts and such. Uh, I'm regularly checking my fantasy team at the same time. Um, but for the most part, I just try to watch and enjoy the game. And then I think I do a lot more of the thinking about the game when I do a rewatch, because uh-huh. I definitely watch as a fan. Uh-huh. Um, I'm definitely screaming at my TV a lot, uh, during close games. I'm pretty sure my neighbors down the street can hear <laughs> us. So <laughs> get pretty into it. And I really try to watch at least while it's happening as a fan and then try to really break it down later when I rewatch games. How about you? So the first time I watch the game, I'm usually live tweeting it. So I have it up in my living room and then I usually have my computer open and I'm tweeting and I'm checking box scores so that I can like keep track of how, you know, what people's statistics are. Um, and I just, you know, make comments about what's going on with the game. But because of that, I'm looking down at my computer a lot and I'm not looking up. So I'm listening and sometimes I'll actually listen to the radio and then just have the TV on silent and everything isn't like quite synced up, but it's close enough that like, if I hear something on the radio, I can look up and, um, see it. Mm -hmm. And then when I go back and do the second time, that's when I really pay attention to all the nuances. Um, and sometimes when I'm watching, I've started, I started doing this last year where I'll like pick a player to watch during the game. And usually it's a me new, oh, yeah. <laughs> but like <laughs> lately I've been watching Mo Harkless and I'll watch him for extended periods of time and just watch what he's doing. And I find that gives me a, you know, a, a better idea of what's really going on. Um, cause sometimes yeah. if you look at the box score and they don't have a lot of stuff in the box score, but you were watching what they were doing, you can see that they've contributed a lot more. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Let's go ahead and play our interview with Anna Jane Smith. She, like we said, is somebody who knows a lot about analytics and we had some questions about, you know, what are some of the basics to know and what are some of the ways to, um, Uh, you know, evaluate a player, ways to evaluate a team, got some really good advice. And she also lists a lot of really great resources. So if you are a listener who happens to be interested in trying to figure out how to get more into statistics, you might want to grab a pen and a pencil and get ready to write some stuff down because she had some really valuable things to share. Anna Jane, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to be here. If you could start off by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about how you became interested in basketball. Sure. Um, So my name is uh, Anna Jane Smith. I am uh, at Verticality on Twitter. Uh, I am a part of, I guess, what you would call Raptors Twitter. Uh, I live in Canada, so I'm I'm a Raptors fan. Uh, How I got into basketball... um, Basically, my parents are both big Raptors fans, and I 
used to be a huge political junkie and most of my kind of uh sort of online life was following politics and i just got so tired of it it's so it's just such toxic discussion and my parents are both raptors fans so it was something i could talk to them about and so I got into basketball. And then, of course, um, because I'm an extremely obsessive person, I got, I got super obsessed with the sport. Uh, I just It's a beautiful sport, so aesthetically pleasing. And I love the way it's like a sport that you can approach analytically. So I'm a very kind of uh, analytical uh, type person, like, like mathy, I guess. But at the same time, it's not like baseball where you can basically completely describe players and teams with analytics like there's a lot of mystery even when you try to like crunch the numbers uh and just you know the more you watch basketball the, like the better you see it all of the different plays the way the league changes over time i just find it like fascinating and it's, it's such a aesthetically beautiful game there's so many different ways to play um you know so many different ways you can run a team the league's always changing young teams trying new things new combinations of players like you know, the evolution of the three-point shot, you know, more ball, all this kind of stuff. Like, it's it's super fun to follow. So I just became totally obsessed. And now I'm, I'm uh, my parents, like, roll my eyes because I always want to talk about basketball. <laughs> so I sort of overdid it. Like, I do everything. Uh, but that's that's my story. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I have a similar story. That's definitely, I got into basketball because my parents. So, um, but speaking of analytics, what kind of stats do you feel are the most useful when evaluating individual players? What stats do I think are useful for evaluating individual players? Yeah. Uh, I guess I would say, like, the, the simplest stats are always the best stats. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, first of all, I mean, you don't have to be, like, a stat head to enjoy basketball. Like, it's a fun game to watch just as a casual fan. Uh, And some people are just very visually oriented and they just, you know, numbers don't do it for them. So, like, nothing that I say should give the impression that I think if you don't look at numbers, you're a bad fan or you can't understand the game. If that's not the way you approach things, like, that's not the way you approach things. So, you know, no stats if you don't want to look at them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, if you do, I guess the thing... The thing is that basketball is like a hard sport to watch, right? It's a complicated game. And when we watch in the moment, like, especially if we haven't been watching and if we haven't played a lot of basketball in our lives, um, you know, it's hard to really kind of see what's going on at, at an in-depth level. And when I watch the games, like, over, if I watch once and if I have enough time, I can watch again, I often see things very differently. Um, like, I remember this game last year, and it was like a game the Raptors played against Miami Heat. And they like were up by 15 in the fourth quarter. And they almost blew it. They won by two. Like their closing lineup was a disaster. And I was mm-hmm. like, at the time I was like, oh, it's DeRozan was so awful. And he's so terrible closing games. And then some DeRozan fans were getting after me. And then I realized, like I watched it again the next day. And I was like, that, you know, almost nothing was DeRozan's fault. Like yeah. that was, in that case, it was, it was Kyle Lowry had a terrible game. But you're just watching in real t- time. Often you'll see what you expect to see. Yeah. Um, and that's why, to me, the simplest stats are just go back, you know, if, and just go to NBA.com, um, players advanced, uh, look at net ratings, look at on-off, uh, look at assist percentage, true shooting, turnover ratio. Those kinds of numbers tell you a lot. They tell you, you know, what, and look at the different lineups, what lineups work, what lineups don't. And then go back and watch the game and try to figure out why like what is it that's driving what why is this lineup so bad like what is the problem um and you know so numbers in that sense can be very complementary and they can help us kind of second guess ourselves because and again if you're not into that that's fine like there's nothing wrong with just watching games for the enjoyment of it you don't have to be like a basketball intellectual um you know in a sense it's a giant waste of time to be a basketball intellectual if it's just a hobby um, but I do think like the simplest stats, the stuff you can find on B-Ball Ref and on you know NBA.com, which are free, uh, those are the the stats that that are most useful. And so just getting familiar with you know NBA.com, which is a fairly easy website to use, you know that's that would be my suggestion for someone who just you know wants to kind of up their up their analysis of what they're watching. Do you find 
or how do you approach when you're trying to figure out like how a, an individual player is doing over over time versus like you're trying to figure out what's going on with the team? Do you look at a like different set of things to evaluate that or you know because like one of the things that's going on with the Blazers right now is like they got this great start and then suddenly they just you know fell off a cliff for several games where they just like their right. defense just went in the gutter. So right. how do you um, evaluate like whether or not try to figure out because it's always a combination of things but what are some of the ways that you look at like is a certain player having a tough time or you know is the team just not playing well um you know, kind of just the difference between looking at individual player stats and looking at team-wide um, stats. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's really tricky. And and I, I noticed that the Blazers had been struggling a little bit recently after this kind of red-hot start that they had. Um, and I think with fans, like, there's always a tendency, we all do it, I definitely do it, is just to want to, you know, to overanalyze noise. Like, sometimes the team just gets tired, things are a little off, Um, you know, you might be playing super, super well at the beginning of the season just because everything has come together and you're regressing to, to some sort of mean, or you get scouted and, you know, other teams kind of figure out how to attack you. Uh, and then you have to counter and it might take you a while to counter because what you were doing was so successful. Um, you know, I tend to look at lineup data. So I'll go in and I'll look at the sort of most used lineups. And again, you know, mostly I do this for for the Raptors, I do it a little bit for um, the Thunder and the Magic and two other teams that I follow. Um, and I'll sort of look at the numbers for what lineups are succeeding and what lineups are not succeeding. Uh, and what, you know, what combinations of players are working and what combinations of players are not working. Uh, that's kind of the the basic start. And again, it's, it's very basic stuff. Like, it's, it's descriptive. Like, we call these statistics but they are statistics only in like the most descriptive sense right you have the offensive rating like how many points is this lineup scoring per 100 possessions defensive rating how many points are they giving up per 100 possessions like these these aren't analytics right these are just descriptions of what's going on um you know you can then go a step higher and you can you know adjust the on like adjust the offensive and defensive rating for um, teammate quality and, and opponent quality and get, you know, something like regularized adjusted plus minus, uh, again, a, fair, a quite simple stat, but like, a, you know, a little bit more complicated, but, you know, to sort of p- putting the puzzles together, it's just the descriptive stats are very useful because in real time, we often don't get a sense of like which lineups are performing and which lineups are, are not performing. Just to give an example, I mean, there's been a lot of, like, from Raptors land, there's been a lot of fuss about the Raptors bench and not being as good as the Raptors bench was last year. But actually, their most used bench unit has, like, a plus 10 net rating on the year, which is actually very good. So it's been kind of combinations of you take one guy out and you put another guy in, uh, that lineup has tended to to perform badly. But so far, and, and it's still a fairly small sample, the main bench unit has actually been fine. And that doesn't mean there's nothing, there's no cause for concern because that lineup is extremely sensitive. Like you find one guy out, put another guy in, things tend to go to be disasters and the sample is small. So it's entirely possible that things will start going south and that things we're seeing are, are consistent with, you know, this being sort of lucky, but it's still useful, I think, to just to be able to look at those numbers and say, ah, actually, okay, our bench unit isn't, isn't getting killed, not on the aggregate anyway. Because, uh, you know, it, it isn't. <laughs> that's, that's a different point to start from. Doesn't mean there's nothing to be concerned about, like I said, but it, it's a fact, right? And, and when we're talking about descriptive statistics, we are talking about facts, right? So, like, we always want to be dealing with reality, um, such as it is. Yeah, so, I mean, why do teams struggle and why do things go wrong? Well, I mean, to me, that's kind of what, that's kind of what's fun about it, like trying to piece it together from watching film and just looking at, you know, the quanti- the quantifiable stuff, like what lineups are doing well, when are things going south, what combinations of players are doing poorly. Is this a, is it because we're now playing new combinations of players or is it because combinations of players that were working, um, you know, were not working, are, are not working anymore? Um, so I have actually, can I ask a Blazers question? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... One thing I was really interested in with the Blazers at the beginning of the year was like, was Evan Turner got off to a great start, right? Yeah. And I love Evan Turner. Every, Evan Turner is so fun and he's such a sweetheart. Everybody would want him to do well. 
And I remember watching him and thinking, eh, you want to believe that he's just going to turn it around and have a great season, right? That maybe all these bad years that he's had aren't real, uh, you know, or aberrations, or he's going to improve. So has he kept it up? That is such a great question. Yeah. <laughs> Cassie, do you want to start or should I start? <laughs> um, I think my biggest observation about it is I think that the lineup around him has changed so much recently about who he's surrounded with that I think that maybe that really strong start isn't appearing to be as strong, but I'm wondering if it is the different lineups that we've tried. And I think we just are looking for that perfect combination for him to lead a group of guys. Hmm. Yeah. And then that's exactly what I'm talking about because, because you can go to NBA.com and look at the different lineups that he's played in and look at the lineups he played at the beginning of the year and look at the lineups he's played in recently and see which one of those lineups are working and which ones aren't. Right. And that kind of helps you put the puzzle together as to what's going on here. Right. Yeah. Is it, is it a guy who had been playing at a fairly low level, um, you know, having a blip and then regressing, or is it a question of we finally found the right things to do with him, but now we've tried to push him to do to back into doing stuff that he can't do anymore. Right. And, or that, that you know, maybe he's not suited to do. Um, and yeah, I think like, it's, it's looking at those, like just looking at the lineup data from, you know, from NBA.com can just tell you a ton. It can, it can really kind of clarify the stories from watching the game and help you put the puzzle together, which to me is, is the fun part. When you look at that lineup data, are you like primarily looking at the difference between the offensive rating and the defensive rating or, you know, the, the net rating to figure out and determine whether or not a lineup is successful? Yeah. Uh-huh. And in small samples, that can be a problem, right? Because there's going to be a fair amount of luck uh, associated with that. Um, so one thing, if you want to be a little more advanced, um, what I would do next is go for it. So I have lineup data. I don't have luck adjusted lineup data, but you can go, for example, to um, uh, Jacob Goldstein's uh, player impact plus minus page and look and he will give you on off data for each player uh, over game over a set set of games it's easy to to figure out which will give you a, what's called luck adjusted net ratings so it can again i can't get them for lineups but i can get them for players in the sense of like luck adjustment means like okay maybe we had a 90 defensive rating in this uh, six minute stretch where this particular lineup went out but we committed three shooting fouls and it just happened to be that the opponents missed all the shots Oh, well, I've been waiting okay. for a place to look that up for so long. <laughs> oh my yeah. God, that's you like just gold mine. The door. You just like that's like the biggest Christmas present. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. I actually, so I, I had just looked up uh, luck adjustment. Luck adjustment, like all of these stats, like people who do, you know, who are really hard stat heads. You're sort of Jeremiah Engelman and you know Jason, Jacob Goldstein types. Um, you know, who, who do this as more than a hobby. So luck adjustment gets more and more complicated. But the basic form of luck adjustment is you adjust for a, uh, how often do you send guys to the line? And then you have the average make rates of each of the guys you send to the line. And so you would basically plug in those average make rates rather than the actual make rates, right? Because you might get unlucky and you, you know, you're fouling, you know, um, DeAndre Jordan. So I know DeAndre Jordan is hitting his free throws this year. Uh, or you're, you know, you're, you're fouling Andre Roberson and sending him to the line. And he just happens to hit six, right? But it was still a good idea to foul him, right? You might get unlucky because he hits the shots. And the other is is three point three pointers. That's getting complicated because it used to be the case that the story was uh, defenses had no control over three point make rates. They only had control over three point attempt rates. And I think that's changing because I think NBA defenses are learning how to make three-point shots worse. Uh, and one thing this year, for example, three-point make rate is way, way down. So, but nevertheless, you can see whether a three is open or wide open or contested. And you'll have make rates for open, wide open and contested threes. So it might be that you do a really good job of contesting your threes, but the other team just happens to hit them all. Then you're unlucky, right? Or you might give up a ton of open threes, but most guys are only hitting 50% on open threes from the corners. It's obviously a really, really productive shot, but it wouldn't be shocking that you just missed three in a row, right? 
even if you're a good yeah. three-point shooter. You oh just God, have an option. The Blazers have been terrible from the corner this yeah. year. <laughs> so maybe yeah. it's just so, luck. Yeah, well, I mean, to some extent it is luck. Like, it's not luck in the sense that, like, the player that's in a slump, it's not, you know, slumps are real things, and, like, you know, some players are streaky. But he has to keep shooting because they're never going to break out of the slump if they don't keep shooting. So the fact it's good that they're taking those shots, even though they're missing them. From a fan perspective, it's really frustrating to watch people miss wide open threes. But in a sense, yeah, you can argue that those lineups are actually playing better than the numbers would say on offensive rating because they're taking the right shots and they're, you know, at some point those numbers will will correct, right? I mean, maybe they don't. Maybe your three-point shooter just fell off a cliff. But that's usually not the story, right? When guys are missing threes, it's usually because they're slumping. If there's a big sample of, their, of them making threes at a good clip in the past. Okay, I wanted to uh, uh, jump in and ask one thing about, like, if you if you were preferring for your team, would you prefer that they made that they made more three attempts but with a lower success rate or that they took fewer three-point attempts but with a higher success rate? Um, well, it's hard to say. I mean, I would prefer that my team have the highest like effective field goal percentage possible. Um, but I, it's interesting because the, the three-point shot is still kind of evolving in the NBA, like how it's contested, whether you can contest it effectively it, or whether you can just prevent shots. Like is the right defense just to chase guys off the line and try to prevent shots or is it to encourage people to take bad threes above the break contested threes? Um, you know, generally I think the, the view is still you want to chase guys off the line. You want to keep your opponent's three point attempt rate down. That's still, I think the cornerstone of what people think, you know, good defense is. But I don't know if it will always stay that way because there are, you know, the three point revolution is still reasonably recent. Like, I mean, it's been going on for a while, but you know, three point attempts per game have been going up and up and up. They're hitting a new high this year. There's got to be a point where, you, you know, there's saturation. And as I've said, um, using the b-ball ref numbers last year the average three-point make rate was 36.2 right now it's 35.0 that's a huge difference in terms of how efficient those shots are but there's secondary effects right because you get spacing so one of the things teams are doing by making up for it is getting a lot of shots at the rim right and that's something the blazers do a lot with Nurkic, right so if you've got if Nurkic has a lot of spacers around him then he's going to be way more efficient at the rim and he has been way more efficient at the rim uh, and that's really improved his game. But part of that is just, you know, he's not getting crowded inside. And so he's got more space to make his shots. So, you know, it's not just the three-point makes. It's the fact that the spacing opens up, you know, um, you know, room for guys to operate inside. And I think that's, you know, that that's such a, a huge point and a huge part of why the three-point revolution has sort of led to, you know, increases in offensive rating. Uh, among teams but I find it really fascinating because I think you know at some point you're probably going to hit diminishing returns with like whether you want to be taking more and more threes um but three-point attempt you know every three-point attempt you know does provide spacing outcomes and that tends to improve your offense uh even be even if you're not making the shots like even if you're trading that in for a fairly low shot make rate on the other hand if your shot make rate from three gets low enough teams may start uh ignoring you Right. And sort of not bothering to close out and being more concerned about the pass inside. And so then it can start to have counter effects. So, you know, as, as defenses evolve and strategies evolve, I mean, that's part of what makes basketball so interesting. It's always an arms race between offense and defense and people analyzing the game are sort of struggling to keep up <laughs> and understand. And of course, the guys that work for teams are always trying to find like what's the ultimate strategy that especially, you know, as the Warriors age and their core breaks out what's going to be the next kind of winning strategy in the nba um yeah so i mean yeah it's all it's all pretty fascinating stuff definitely um so you talked we've talked a lot about how teams are using stats and how you can watch stats via teams but how do you think the league uses stats to maybe affect policy changes or rule changes or things like that oh i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anyone who works in the league, so I don't have any idea. I know that the, you know, this year the big change has been um, 
foul calling, like the increase in foul calling and, and um, concern with freedom of movement. And there's been a lot of complaining about that um, because, you know, it has caused offensive rating to take to spike a little again. Right. So this is actually, you know, it's not it's not quite like it was like in the 50s and 60s, yeah. but offense keeps going up. Um, I was looking at this the other day, and I don't want to make a definitive statement because like, I, I it's just kind of casual glancing, but it looks to me like almost all of the increase in offensive rating, and again, I'm just using league-wide averages from B-Ball Ref, uh, offensive rating has spiked from a 106.8, or sorry, 108.6 to 109.7. That's a huge jump year to year. Almost all of it, though, can be, it looks to me, and I haven't done the calculation, it's a simple calculation, but I haven't done it, so I don't want to be definitive, but I would say almost all of it looks like it's it's just because they're calling more fouls. So this guys are getting to the line, right? And there's just, there's been such a crackdown on players that can't shoot, right? So, you know, DeAndre Jordan and Andre Drummond and these guys that used not to be able to shoot, well, now they're at least 60% three-point, sh- or free-throw shooters, because it's just death otherwise. <laughs> you yeah. just can't afford to not be able to shoot free-throws. And so those are free, essentially free points, right? Almost, you know, it's it's 70%, 75% or something like that make rate on average in the league. Um, and so if you're calling more shooting fouls, offense is going to go up because it's a possession where you just, where you get points. Um, and so I, I know that the policy, you know, there's been some controversy around that because nobody wants to watch games where it's like the whole second quarter, like the last six minutes of second quarter, is just guys walking to the line. And that definitely mm-hmm. happens. Um and there's also, I guess, concern that, you know, you're, you're making it impossible to play defense, uh, you know, in order because fans like, you know, casual fans like to watch scoring. I'm not quite sure I buy that. Like, I I think some of it may have been also to prevent, to discourage uh, injury because, like, last year, last season was such an awful year for injuries, like, mm-hmm. just make defenders back off. But I haven't really had the sense that, like, you can't defend anymore. Like, yeah. good defensive teams like the Thunder – the Celtics, um, you know, the the Nuggets, those teams are defending amazingly well. And they're doing it in very different styles. Like, it, it's absolutely, like the Grizzlies, like, you can hold teams to low. You, you can hold opponents scoring down, okay, even with freedom of movement. But I think, like, it's just the foul calling is is unpleasant. But I think they really think they need to enforce this to try to, to try to get free to movement. Whether it's mostly about injuries or whether it's mostly about offense, I, I don't know. But I, you know probably injury thing oh my gosh there's so much to think about this is absolutely fabulous (laughs) (laughs) one quick question and then we'll probably start wrapping it up here pretty soon do you have a favorite kind of insight or story that you like uncovered that you maybe might not have um if you hadn't you know been diving into the numbers like something that just made you go oh huh what do you know um, I mean, it happens all the time. I can't think of any off the top of my head that are like, that were really like, wow, everybody, everybody's wrong and, and about this. Um, you know, it's mostly sort of small things in the sense that, so one thing, like if, if you, if you follow me on Twitter, it, like I, I rarely tweet during games, like, well, I'll t- tweet during games with teams I don't follow. Um, because I, I don't care if I say something stupid about a team I don't follow. But I rarely tweet during Raptors games. And if I do, it's something like, wow, Siakam is amazing or something just anodyne like that. Because I find that if I'm watching the game and I'll, like like I gave with my example of the Miami game last year, I just may tweet things that are, are kind of wrong, right? Because, you know, like bas- watching basketball is hard and I'm not that good at it. Um, and so I, you know, I usually wait till after the game. Then I look at the numbers and then I'll rewatch parts of the game. Uh, if I, you know, if I have time, obviously I can't do this all the time. Uh, <laughs> other things to do in life, but um, you know, and then maybe the story that I saw, you know, the story that people saw is a little bit is a little bit different than what actually happened. Um, and when I get grumpy on Twitter, which happens, you know, reasonable amount, I'm fairly grumpy. You know, it's usually because I'm like reacting against, you know, just kind of somebody tweets something and then everyone starts saying it based on like watching in game it's like no 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 like just look at the numbers like that's not what's actually happening um and you know you you don't want to push this too far because sometimes numbers can be misleading especially in small sample but you know at the same time i find a lot of nba writing uh you know gets very very narrative driven 
And, you know, I think numbers are a way we can kind of bust through narratives a little bit in the sense we can challenge really, you know, really is this, is this really what's happening? Um, and I think there is that. I mean, I think lots of teams, like one of the things that the NBA is so fun this year because like there's so many teams playing really different ways, yeah. um, you know, and trying really different combinations of players than what has been thought of is like you have to play a certain way, you know, or like to me, like the Rockets are such an interesting story. And I don't know exactly what's wrong with the Rockets, but we've gone from, they were, you know, arguably the best team or second best team in the NBA last year to their disaster. And they're playing exactly the same way uh, with almost the same personnel. And they lost some role players, but it's not like Trevor Ariza is having anything like a decent season. He's one of the worst players in the NBA. Um, they were always a shallow team and, and, you know, they've got their core four guys back and core five guys back. And suddenly things have gone like pear shaped. And to me, it's like, why, what exactly? And I don't watch them enough or spend enough time with the numbers to dive into that. But to me, that's, those are the kinds of questions. Like what? Cause a year ago it was like, you have to play like the Rockets. This is the way to play in the modern NBA. And it's like, well, maybe it's not, <laughs> maybe this is not the way to play in the modern NBA. Is it just, is it the strategy that people have caught up to? Is it the players have aged out of the window where they can, they can execute that strategy? I mean, Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker are very old. Um, you know, Harden's not a young man. Chris Paul, of course, is, is you know, people thought he would never decline, but I think that's pro was probably optimistic. Um, yeah, so, like, to me, it's, like, the, just so much, like, oh, well, the Rockets, you know, and, and I don't think anybody really saw this coming. Like, I think people, I think a lot of people said, like, oh, they'll probably win five or ten less games. That's why I, I was like, oh, they'll win ten less games, but it's not even clear they'll make the playoffs. I mean, maybe they will. Um, or, you know, the, the the Kings, right? Like, who saw the Kings coming? Um, no one. No one. Like, literally, I, literally no one. I remember late in the summer, I was involved in a Twitter thread, and so, and I made some comment about the Suns' core being better than the Kings' core. And somebody was like, really? I mean, who was better? And then I, I was like, I need to find that guy again. Because <laughs> the closest thing I found is someone saying, like, the Kings are not that bad. That guy should take a victory lap. Uh, and maybe he is. I mean, he's not a follower of mine. So maybe he's out there on Twitter taking a victory lap. But I've never seen anyone predict that the Kings are coming. So I think we get things wrong, right? Narratives are, can be wrong. And I, the thing I love about stats is that narratives is that they help us, you know, not get caught up in narratives and not see what we think we need to see or what everyone says we should see. And I think that that's what makes, um, you know, using numbers, using statistics as approach to basketball uh, fascinating. But I should say, again, I don't, again, I want to be cautious just so I don't come off as a, like, as a know-it-all that like, you know, it's perfectly fine not to use stats, to watch basketball, not watch stats. The only thing I would say is if you're watching basketball, you're not taking it to the numbers unless you've been watching basketball your whole life. Um, and or played at a really high level, coached or something like that, you should probably be a little cautious and humble about what you're seeing. Because what you're seeing is, I mean, everybody thinks their eye test is perfect. Nobody's eye test is perfect. So <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to like watch it. You don't have to be a basketball intellectual to participate on basketball Twitter and enjoy the game. You absolutely don't. Um, and I talk to all sorts of people who are, you know, just really fun basketball players that follows and don't. But if you, you know, just be humble about what you're seeing because it's a hard sport to watch and you probably don't have any particular insight with, with your eye test. Awesome. I love that, actually. I'm definitely going to start watching games probably a little, little bit differently. You uh, mentioned throughout your talks um, a few different resources. Would you um, kind of wrap up by sharing those again, some of your favorite places to look for stats and maybe some of your favorite, like, writers or follows on Twitter for people who may be interested in learning more? Um, sure. So, I mean, the basically, so after a game, I always go and I look, I just, first of all, I just go to NBA.com. Mm -hmm. So NBA.com is not the easiest website to use initially, but it's one of those things too, where if you just put a question out on Twitter, how would I find this information on NBA.com? Someone will just tell you, right? It's, it's like, um, people are really, really helpful. So, after every game, if I'm paying attention, I go to NBA.com, I look at the lineup data for the game, uh, the on-offs, the the, um, the net ratings of the different lineups. Uh, I look at, you know, the player impact estimate, which is one of my favorite um, advanced stats, which nobody pays attention to, but it's a very nice productivity stat uh, from NBA.com that tells you 
um, how it basically tells you how productive was this player in the sense of it's a ratio of his productivity contributions, very, very simply measured, divided by all the all the productivity contributions made by each team while he was on the floor. Uh, so if, you know, it will, that means it penalizes you if, if you're, if your lineups are getting torched, right? Because that would raise the denominator. There'd be more stuff going on for the other team. Or if your teammates are doing a lot and you're doing a little bit, the fact that you score a ton, uh, might not matter if all your teammates are scoring, because that makes scoring much easier for you. Um, and that's a nice impact metric tells you within a lineup, how much positive stuff was this person doing relative to everybody else on the floor. Um, so I look at that the lineup data and I look at the individual player data uh, and then I will every day. So I go in and I look at the Jacob Goldstein's uh, really nice composite metric called uh, player impact plus minus. Uh, can I just give one quick definition here? So yeah. know what the terms I'm using. Are For sure. Absolutely. So there's, there's two ways of assessing a player. There's what's called productivity. Uh, which would just be like points plus rebounds plus assists plus steals plus blocks, you know, minus uh, field goal attempts, minus turnovers. I, that those are, that would be what's called EFF, which is the efficiency, like the most basic productivity metric that there is. And there's more complicated ones uh, that, but they're just box score. They're just box score components. Uh, and then there's what's called impact. And impact would be on off, like how how well is the team do when you're on the floor versus how well when you're off the floor. So there's two different concepts. And then what we call composite metrics would be combinations of productivity and impact, which in total should give a kind of measure of how good and useful is this player, not in a, in a not in a global sense, but right now, like how much is he contributing? How, how good is he, has he been this year? So there, t- there are three stats that I know of that are composite metrics based on combinations of productivity and impact. Um, one is, and my favorite one, although it's only my favorite because it corresponds best with my eye test, so take that with a grain of salt, is Jacob Goldstein's uh, player impact plus minus. Uh, another one is Jacob Goldstein's colleague uh, at Basketball Index, uh, whose name I can't remember. He goes by Cranjus McBasketball, I think is his Twitter handle, uh, called Points Over Expectation. That, I, I don't entirely know how it's calculated, but it's another kind of composite impact uh, productivity stat. And then there's real plus minus, which is available at ESPN, and it comes out weekly. Um, PIPM is updated daily, so I always check that, and I look to see how different players are doing that I like or follow around the league. Um, and then I will look at things like, uh, you know, defense dashboard uh, to look at how, you know, how many shots are different players contesting and what are their, you know, what are their uh, positive contest rates. Again, stuff that's hard to see with the eyes, but you know, unless you're watching super, super, super closely and over and over again, but but are easily quantifiable. Um, so just B-Ball Ref and NBA.com. I don't have a subscription to Cleaning the Glass or Synergy, I don't, which are, are fancier uh, sites for this kind of stuff, which a lot of professionals or semi-professionals have subscriptions to those sites to use those data. Um, you know, I would, I would, <laughs> but I already like, you know, with the Patreons and stuff. Mm-hmm. I already kind of pay enough for my basketball hobby, so I don't really want a subscription. But, but again, just like starting simple with the most simple stats, if you want to get into it, nothing has to be complicated. Nothing has to be something where you have a PhD in statistics to understand it, right? Just descriptive stuff. Um, and so, yeah, those are the sites that that I mostly use, the Player Impact Plus Minus, the B-Ball Index uh, site, which has both points over expectation and PIPM. Um, and also PeopleRef and NBA.com. Those are my sites. Uh, in terms of who you should follow, definitely follow, if you're into stats, definitely follow Jacob Goldstein, uh, Jeremiah Engelman, who is the creator of Real Plus Minus. Um, you know, various in- just interesting writers around Twitter um, that I think, you know, are-, are totally worth following and that give really nice uh, insights, sort of that give mixes of, of eye test and, um, and plus minus or impact uh, or sort of, of analytic stuff. I mean, there's a lot of people online uh, for that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I don't want to just start sort of shouting people out on Twitter that I, I really enjoy following. Um, and especially a lot of them would be concentrated in, in uh, Raptors Twitter anyway, which I assume not that many Raptors fans out there. But there's a lot of fun resources, um, you know, and, and there's a lot of, of really cool people to talk to. And most of the analytics guys, like Jay Goldstein, I doesn't follow me like we don't have a relationship but if i ask him a question on twitter like he'll often answer 
um, you know, like you'll usually answer, like he's a really nice guy. And a lot of the analytics guys are really, you know, um, interactive. That's so great. I'm so uh, looking forward to going and getting started. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I play around on on all of those, you know, the sites that you've mentioned, but you really laid out um, very clearly, like the difference between productivity and impact. And that just is going to like help me think about you know, what I'm talking about when I'm trying to analyze what's going on. Am I talking about product, someone's productivity or am I talking about the impact? And yeah. just, just knowing <laughs> that those are separate things is really I, I should uh, enlightening. probably say, like, those are my definitions. Like, I, people mm-hmm. sometimes impact to imply what I mean by composite. So, mm-hmm. like, these are, those are the definitions I find useful to use. But I, I don't, I'm not sure these things have been, ever been, like, uh, formally defined. Yeah. Um, but like, but yeah, that's what, that's what, when I say impact, that's what I mean. Oh, it's a great uh, framework for just mm-hmm. how to even, you know, start looking. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it's always good. To, it's always good to have definitions. <laughs> um, any other questions, Cassidy? I think I have a lot to digest. <laughs> <laughs> well, Anna, could you uh, tell folks how they can follow you and are you available? Like if we have questions, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you can always tweet at me. Uh, and so my uh, Twitter handle is at Anna Jane Smith four um, is my username. So all one word, all lowercase, Anna, Anna Jane Smith four. Yes, there's three others. Um, <laughs> my Twitter handle is verticality, although I occasionally change it during the playoffs. I usually change it to small sample size thespian. Um, but then, you know, I turn it back. So uh, I change it back. So that that would be how you could find me on, on Twitter. Um, you know, right. and people, you know, obviously people are welcome to tweet questions at me. Um, it's, you know, if they want. But again, I'm not any kind of expert on this stuff. I'm just someone who, you know, I, this is just the way I approach basketball. So, um, you know, I was happy to talk about basketball because it's my obsession. But like, th- there are definitely are real experts out there. And I'm not one of them. I think you uh, are a, have a, just from following you on Twitter has been a really great resource. So don't sell yourself short there. Yeah, <laughs> you're wonderful. Okay. Thank you for t- yeah. spending your time with us. And yeah, um, my first podcast I've done in a year, so it's 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 always fun. Uh, awesome. Doing one a year is pretty good. Okay. <laughs> we should try to double that. We'll have you back at the end of the season to like go over some of the stats. When is like a good sample size? Because I know people are always talking about small sample sizes and then eventually like people stop saying that. But like for you, if you're going to look at like lineup data, which do you look at it by like total minutes that they've played together or just look at like halfway through the season, then we can really start kind of telling. Uh, I, so I, one of my arguments is always that like uh, net rating and, and um, plus minus in really small sample sizes tell us us more than than like, people say oh well plus minus is meaningless in like a game or a two game sample i tend to disagree i think plus minus actually generally tells you i like, i just don't think the noise from luck is so big so i tend to be i i tend to think like even quite small samples can tell you stuff you just have to be you know the adjustment that you make for noise has to be you need to be making the mental adjustment for noise the smaller the sample right mm-hmm. um you know obviously we're talking like two minutes so so when i when i do a, a lineup search on nba.com for the last game like i always cut out lineups that haven't been that didn't play together for at least two minutes because at that point you know just it's it's noise it's pure noise but you know it, it's just a judgment call like it's just a personal judgment call as to when lineup they to become there's enough of it that you can you know, make that assessment. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think like, there's no, there are no cut and hard and dry rules. Um, you just, one of these things where it's like, well, you know, this lineup's a lot better than you think. Cause look, they have like the Raptors bench is better than you think. It has a 10.6 net rating. Like you have to have to be willing people to come back and say, dude, it's a 40 minute sample. <laughs> what always happens to us is that we I look at the uh, Trailblazers lineup data and then I always have to take out the Phoenix game because <laughs> there's always a Phoenix game in there that skews all of the <laughs> results. Yeah, uh, right. poor Phoenix. No, that's the trick. Though. Like that's the trick is you can't take out the Phoenix game. Like that's that's where you want to be cautious. Where it's like I'm 
just going to pull this game out because I think it, it's a I think it, it doesn't tell the real story. Because right. Well, that's why I mean, I like er- erase that from all the results because it's like yeah. skews everything, you know, when you beat them by 40 points. Uh, like last year, oh, yeah, I, the, sure, the first right. game they won by like 40 points. And so it was like for the first, you know, half of the season, I had to just not include that game because it it just skewed everything so completely. Right, right. No, I get that. And, and especially this year because the bad teams in the NBA are so bad. Um, like it's Raptors game against the Bulls and I think they won by, you know, they won by 39 points or something. And yeah. it's like, this is not telling you anything about like, we're running out, like we're running out our G leaguers. It was like, you know, Lorenzo Brown and Malachi Richardson and, and like, you know, a couple of like deep rotation guys. And it's like, they're all like plus 20. It's like, guys, yeah. this does not mean Lorenzo Brown is going to go plus 20 against the Warriors. Like it's, it's <laughs> just, you need to not take these, uh, this lineup data seriously. So yeah, everything is like everything with respect to Jane, uh, everything with a grain of salt and like be, you know, com- you know, use your common sense and, and your eye test, of course, too. You know, it's not totally, totally valueless. Right on. Well, thanks again so much. Uh, You have a lovely week ahead of you. And uh, like I said, we'll try to make it two podcasts in a year. How's that? (laughs) Sure. Sounds good. (laughs) Thanks Thanks a lot for having me, guys. That is going to do us for this edition of Women's Hoops and Talks. We are hosted by Blazers Edge. If you like what you heard, please go to Blazers Edge podcast on iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe and rate and review. We release a new episode of What every other Thursday. And if you want to know more about Blazers What, you can follow us on Twitter at Hoops and Talks. And don't forget, we've got a meetup on December 17th at the McMinnanum's Broadway Pub to watch the Clipper game. You can find me on Twitter at Cassidy Gamut. And how about you, Tara? I am on Twitter at TCB Biggs. Cassidy, it was great to talk to you. And let's let's do this again. <laughs> Sounds good. Go Blazers. <laughs>